Hey team, it's Matt Rinkine here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I'm an Eternal Optimist. That means we see things through a positive lens, and all the challenges, all the hard stuff, everything that comes at us is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to take it in, and then what comes out, what comes next, is your choice. And you can choose to learn from it. You can choose to flow with it. You can choose to use it to your advantage. Eternal optimism is that. Constantly learning, constantly seeing things as to how they might benefit us and benefit the world. And I'm happy, and it's my genuine pleasure to bring a show to you that we are focused on that, on hope. And you can do a two attitude. Imagine what happens when you, me, and all the people in our circle of influence feel and think this way how that will impact others. And that's why we're here, to learn, to soak it in, to experience it, and it is my sincere honor to be with you, my friends. Before we get started, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eternal Optimist Podcast. That's the account. On YouTube, it's The Eternal Optimist. Check it out there. And every day, Monday through Friday, there's a live stream at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, and I will live stream and share some thoughts of the day, some examples of eternal optimism, how we're using learnings from experts to invite learning, to invite growth, and to overcome your biggest pains. That's what we do every single morning on the Eternal Optimist live stream. Check it out. Now, team, today I'm introducing you to a friend, a client, a dear, dear, just person that I have learned from immensely. His name is Brandon McKee. Mr. McKee starts with, we take the risk out of marketing. He's the CEO of WinBig Media, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal marketing company that's done some amazing things out there. Just check it out. One of my first episodes is Mr. Philip Stutz. Uh, and Philip wrote a book called The Undefeated Marketing System. Well, Brandon is the CEO that runs the company that uses big data the way that Philip described in the undefeated marketing system. These two are partners and WinBig Media is that company. Now, Brandon today is going to talk about some of the biggest challenges that one can imagine. First, he lost his dad at the age of 18. And you don't know what you don't know. At that time, at the age of 18, he was angry for about a year. And he needed to find that mentor to help him level up his game. And he began the search. He began the search. We talk about compassionate leadership and putting yourself in the shoes of others, which Brandon does now on a regular basis. We talked about a turning point conversation where Brandon learned when someone gave him some very direct feedback on how he was not showing up with, with any empathy at all. And he has since learned and puts that into his day-to-day -day business. He uses big data and his philosophies are entrenched in it in his company. One of the psychological factors that drive customer behavior this is part of the professional part that we talk about today when we talk about marketing and the under the waterline part it's been really been meaningful for him is that when he focuses on being present and how to live with empathy 
There are many lessons that you can learn from this young CEO in this company, in this podcast episode. So I invite you to tune in, put the antennas up and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Mr. Brandon McKee. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. I am going to welcome to the show a good friend and someone that I actually call an eternal optimist, Mr. Brandon McKee. Brandon, how are you today, my I friend? I am awesome, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you. And as we dive in and get started, your camera has got a close-up on some really cool stuff. Can you share this a little bit about our listeners? They can't see it, but I see some really cool stuff behind you here. you got a bookshelf full of fantastic business books, of course, of which I can see. You've got the Undefeated Marketing System up there. I'm sure we'll talk about that today. What is that big elephant? What is the meaning of that giant elephant you have there in the, in the background? What is that? Couple, uh, <laughs> yeah, a couple of ivory statues back here. The elephant that kind of represents some of the ivory. Back in my husband's family, Paul, who we've talked about before, Matt, they've got a lot of china and like old artifacts and statues. And I think I told you this, but Paul redid my entire office the other day while I was out at an appointment. So uh, I think pretty good on you, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks fantastic, man. It's so cool. Lots of unique, yeah. unique stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love it. One of the cool things I like about this whole new virtual world since COVID, I mean, there, there's some challenges to it. One of the positive sides of it is we get to go into people's homes now. We get to see some of the cool, like real life, get a slice of how we really live. And one of the things I've appreciated about being able to see your background and see inside your home, there's always something pretty cool back there. And I'm sure that there's a story behind all of this stuff back there, but I'm glad to see it. Glad to connect today. And you know, I'm looking forward to diving into all kinds of stuff. I'd love to start off first with some challenges. And in this show, as I know you've heard a couple episodes, we're here for offering an attitude of hope, and you can do it too, and the attitude. And I like to interview people that are successful like you and ask you, what's hard for you? Like, what are the challenges that you dealt with growing up? Because on the surface, people look at you and they're like, yeah, this guy is one cool cat. He is smooth. He's cool. And then nothing phases him. But those of us entrepreneurs, we know that that's not always the case. We're like ducks underwater swimming 100 miles an hour. So I'd love to go back in time and ask you to start anywhere you'd like to in your past and share with us what's a challenge that you endured or overcome that you know has helped to shape your life today, Brandon. Yeah. I don't know if everyone would consider me smooth, Matt, but I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely haven't always been. Main things for me, Matt, and you go way back. We'll go back to when I was 18. I think I've shared this with you, but I lost my dad when I was 18. And that really changed my perspective in terms of having a mentor, which I really believe in business is extremely important because you just don't know what you don't know. And a lot of times, especially at 18, I wasn't necessarily diving into my bookshelf over here. In fact, I had probably zero books behind me at 18. <laughs> you know, I really needed some guidance. Rewind a little bit. I used to be in the fitness industry and I was in sales. And what I tried to do as a young sales professional is just constantly, constantly, constantly ask questions and find that mentor that was ultimately going to be able to help me level up my game. 
doing the bare minimum, especially in sales, is never going to take you to the next level and help you become a high performer. Well, one of my first mentors was actually a gentleman named Will Spencer. He was the GM of the club that I worked at when I was 18, 19 and first started. And he really just taught me the importance of asking really good questions to prospects. And it went from there. You know, I didn't have someone back to my dad. I didn't have someone to go home to and ask a ton of questions. My mom was a professional in the government and very, very busy. So not home a whole lot. So I really had to find that guidance and mentorship elsewhere. And that was almost always in my work environment. And I was not shy to ask questions. I think a lot of people feel annoying, possibly. And for me, it was constant practice for me all the way to the top. If the CFO walked in the door to do a walkthrough with the rest of the senior management team, I was asking them questions, getting my name out there, talking to them about what was working, what wasn't. And I think that's a big lacking habit in a lot of people nowadays is that they want to know everything. They want to do it all on their own. And I've always taken the opposite approach is that I'm asking questions all the time, even to this day. I'm asking questions from my team. I'm asking questions from people like you that I'm you know, jumping on their show. And I want to learn constantly. Hmm. I appreciate that because I'm the same way. And I think back, to, I also lost my dad. I wasn't 18, I was at 28. But I think about the impact that had. What was the immediate impact on you at the age of 18 for the next month, year? I mean, there was this gap. How did that impact your thinking, just impact your emotions? How did that hit you at that age and stage in your life? It's a good question, man. I think everyone goes through different stages of grief. And, you know, there's a lot of professionals out there that have the four or five or six stages, depending on who you talk to. For me, at that age, I was very angry to start. And that's a pretty natural stage of grief from what I understand. And very, very angry for probably a whole year really, until I really started to step back. My dad died of heart failure and a couple of other different organ problems that came from that heart failure. And it was because he wasn't in shape. He was not doing the things to take care of his body that he should have been. A great man, took care of his family, worked crazy hours, but didn't take care of his body. Hence why I actually went into the fitness world, because I was angry and I was fighting that entire thought process. So I went straight into fitness and kind of made it my mission to make sure that other people didn't experience that. And yeah, I think I was angry for a long time. Where I really started to reel back is I was selling memberships in the gyms before I got into management and meet a lot of people in the same boat as my dad was. You kind of start to get empathy for that situation and really understand that for me, I was always in martial arts. We've talked about this before. I was a TIE fighter very young and always in Taekwondo or some jujitsu, some form of martial arts. So I stayed very fit. And then I happened to work in the fitness industry. So I was in a gym every single day and just happened to stay very fit. But it's hard. And it's hard to make that a part of your daily routine. It's hard for people that are already in a situation where they may be overweight or may not have the healthiest of lifestyles to make that change. And so really, then I kind of learned to have empathy for my dad's situation. And start to be able to sell through that and tell my story to the people that were sitting across the desk from me and help them make the leap to change their life. Started with anger, went more to empathy. And to this day, I still try to employ that when I'm having conversations with friends, family, coworkers, employees, anyone. Yeah, I appreciate that transformation, you know, from losing a key figure, mentor, someone you loved in your life, angry for some time, and then the transformation to empathy. 
And I wonder how that shows up for you now. Like what might some of the filters be in your thinking that help you to express empathy? Yeah, I am a big proponent of, and I've always phrased it like this compassionate leadership. And for me, what that means, Matt, is just the ability. And I'm not going to not give credit where credit's due. Jeff Weiner says this. He's the former CEO of LinkedIn, now the chairman. And he really talks about compassionate leadership, putting yourself in the shoes of the other individual across from you or being able to look through their lens, as he says. And I've really tried to employ that. A quick story is I took over a health club. This was a couple of years ago still, but once I was in management. So I took over a distressed health club and inherited a lot of team members. And I had a fitness director who in the fitness world, that's a big deal for your club. They are responsible for a whole lot of revenue. And we just butting heads constantly. I was trying to create a culture throughout the club. I was trying to make changes that ultimately were going to keep this club open for the members and for the 150 employees at that time that were employed there. It was just a constant fight. That's really when I started to look into tools that were going to help me manage better. Because at that point, I was a little bit of a tough cookie, I would say, is that I didn't necessarily employ empathy or compassion in my management style. And that was affecting me. I really looked into this compassionate leadership thing I'd heard about a couple times. And it changed my world. It changed my perspective. I'm still able to, and I think a lot of people think of empathy as a weakness. Oh, you can't be direct or you're not going to be candid. And it's actually probably the exact opposite. I always say this, when you care for an employee and when you have compassion, the worst thing you could do is let an employee sit in a position that they're not going to be successful in. We were able to come together and really have that conversation, went through a couple of the things that he didn't necessarily care for that I was doing. I was open. I was honest. I listened, I think is the most important thing, listened. And I truly listened. I didn't sit there and think about what I was going to say in response to him. I just listened to him. And I said, give me a couple days. I want to absorb all that. Your feedback is important to me. And then we had a meeting later on that week in which we made a few changes on my end. I made a lot of changes on his end to emulate the culture that I was trying to create with our staff. Um, and to this day, we're great friends. That was the, that was the, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got to appreciate you for this. Cause I've been, uh, so many times I see that there is a leadership struggle where the leader overpowers the person they're not connecting with. And the leader thinks it's everyone else's turn. They have to change. It's on them. And what you just exemplified there and modeled very nicely for all of us is that you took on yourself. You owned it. And you were the one that decided to make this change. And you sought out this thinking around compassionate leadership. And I have to applaud you for that because I don't know. How old are you, Brandon? Out of curiosity. 29. 29. Man, I'm 46. And there are people that I work with this to this day who are my age older than me, 20 years older than me. They haven't figured that out yet. They haven't taken the time to own themselves and own the way that they show up. And for you to have learned that now by doing it and testing it in the field with someone that you are butting heads with, kudos to you. Because that empathy, I totally agree that when someone is sitting in the seat and they are not performing, the worst thing we could do is candy sugarcoat everything and be nice and sweet and just sweep it under the rug. I believe we owe it to them to be transparent, 
with respect and empathy, not soft. Because I think empathy gets a bad rap sometimes. It means that you're soft and weak and just everything is really nice and friendly. No, no, I don't think that's it at all. It's being able to feel for the other person in their shoes. And as high performers, we still have that enough respect for them to be able to challenge them. So I love the way that you did all that. When you had this turning point and you started to adopt compassionate leadership, you turned the corner with this relationship. So what happened next in your fitness career as you and the fitness director, you changed the relationship, it became very positive, and now they're good friends to this day. Walk us through what happened next after you solved that with him. It was not purposeful timing, but probably the best timing that I could have made that change ever because about three months later, the pandemic hit. And for those folks that don't know, the pandemic really impacted the fitness industry immensely. I kind of like to tell this story. The fitness industry was not ready for it. It punched us in the face, for lack of a better term, and our revenue went to zero overnight. Members couldn't come into the clubs in a lot of our states. In some states, clubs were closed for nine months. In some states, they were only closed for two or three. But that's a big deal in the fitness space and going through landlords and working on forbearance agreements and just all the things we had to do on top of figure out what we were going to tell our employees. It was a time where you talk about empathy. You had to have reserves of empathy. I mean, at that point, moving on from that club, there was a couple other clubs that I was involved in managing and overall probably around a thousand employees. And to have those conversations over and over again, telling people that not terminating employments, but at least furloughing employments for the foreseeable future, that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of that takes a lot out of you. I really needed that skill set. And I'm glad that the couple months before that It was almost fate. I was basically training myself for something like this because those conversations were not easy. And in a lot of cases, it impacted people's lives, families, and you had to really be open to that, hear that, empathize, and in a lot of cases, sympathize as well for these employees. But also we had to keep our clubs up and operational so that they had something to come back to. And that was very hard for people to understand. And it was my job to articulate that. Tough time. Tough time, but we made it through. And I give the credit to the mentors, I would say, that I had those discussions with, the podcast that I listened to, Jeff with his compassionate leadership trainings on LinkedIn. Because without that, I think those conversations would have been impossible for me in the state that I was in previously. And now a quick break for a sponsor. Today's sponsor is a thought. And how you might use this thought can greatly benefit you and enhance what you're doing in this world. The thought is this, the greatest defense is a strong offense. How does that apply in your world? Well, I'll tell you how it applies in this episode that we're recording today with Brandon and and Win Big Media and marketing. It applies in the idea that if there is this place in the economy right now in 2023, May, when we recorded this, if there's a place where there might be a recession or a challenge, how are you thinking about that? A lot of companies might be pulling back on their marketing spend. A lot of players out there might be waiting to watch and see what happens. Well, I would challenge you with this, my friends. Your greatest defense is a strong offense. If you ever have any concern about the economy or about something that might be upcoming, how might you play offense now? How many people, when the economy takes a swing down or it's in a challenge place, how many people think, how might I use this to my advantage and play offense? This is eternal optimism. 
looking at challenging scenarios and asking how you might use this to your advantage, to serve the world, to impact people, to impact the people in your company and your family. How might you learn to play offense right now? That's the thought of the day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, back to the show. Mm, man, tough time in the fitness industry. And I feel for you, all those tough conversations, that must have been incredibly difficult. So kudos to you, my friend, for having the courage to go through all those. After that happened, somehow you came to be working where you are now, where you're leading an organization now. And I'd love to share that story of how you came to be where you are now and Talk about where you are now in your career and the people you're leading now. Yeah, absolutely. I run WinBig Media, which is a marketing agency, which for those listening might seem like a very sharp contrast to the fitness industry, which it is. And I love what I do. It is very, very different than what I used to do. We're a fully remote agency, which is great for our team members, great for flexibility, but it's not in person. I'm not in a physical location every day. How I ended up there, Matt, is after the pandemic, after all those tough conversations, that constant grind to get the clubs back up and operational, I started to you know, want to look for a change. I wanted to work for a smaller organization in which I could affect more change. My personal mission or purpose is really to drive growth within team members. I always say this, profits and money is a side benefit to treating people right and helping them grow so that they help your business grow. And I wanted to do that in a more impactful way in an organization. And where I was at, an amazing company, I just didn't have that ability to affect long-term change at the level I was at. So I started to look for something. I met a gentleman that me and you both know pretty well, Philip Stutz, who was operating WinBig Media at that time as the CEO, and we hit it off. I heard his mission for helping business owners get more ROI and ultimately providing a better alternative than some of the other agency models that were out there in the market world. It really resonated with me. I'd been on the other side of that. I'd been the client before that was frustrated about the marketing campaigns and not understanding what those people were telling me and just going, why are my phones ringing, right? And so back to empathy, I had a lot of empathy for the situations that some of the clients were in. And I wanted to work for an organization that was combating that. That's what got me in to win big media and through Phillips mentorship and ultimately challenging myself to do something different and much harder in certain instances than what I was doing before. I've grown to the role that I'm in, but not without the team, not without good mentors. Well, I love the way that you started off by saying your personal mission is to drive growth within your people. And I love that. I respect that out of you. That's the mission. And you decided to downsize when it comes to having a thousand people in the organization to where we are now. How many people are in your organization now at WinBig Media? We have just over 10 now. We have 10 people. Yeah. Okay. 10 people in the organization now, really having the opportunity to drive growth within your team. Let's go back to Philip Stutz for a second, because he was one of the earlier guests on our show. I've known him for some time, and I love that man. He's had a major impact on my life, and I never want to miss a beat to talk about him and promote his book, The Undefeated Marketing System, which I know a lot of what you might do at WinBig Media is around this system, which is best-selling, and it's something that some of the largest brands have used. It's an amazing system. So what is it about Philip? When did you know that this is a person you could be in business with and you could work with him and lead one of his companies? Was it right away? Or talk about that first meeting and how the relationship developed. I'll tell you the first meeting, and then I'll tell you when I actually knew that it was for me. But our first meeting was I was actually in Palm Beach on vacation, but Philip reached out and said, hey, I want to have a conversation. I was a couple steps through the interview process. I wasn't going to say no, even though I was on vacation. And so I took the call. Our internet goes out. 
like two minutes before I'm supposed to on this video call with Philip. So I didn't get to get on Zoom or anything like that. It has to be a phone call. And the conversation went really well. But a couple of weeks later, Philip says, hey, I want to meet you in person. I think that's important. And I appreciated that as well. I think there's some stuff you can't get over virtual, which is why to this day, I travel to see my team members at least once a quarter because there's just some things you can't do virtually. But anyways, me and Philip met for a Nats game. At that point, I don't think Philip knew that I didn't know anything about sports. In fact, if you asked me, what is it, quarter, <laughs> is it a quarter, is it a period? I still wouldn't know in baseball. But I went to a Nats game with Philip, and we just hit it off. We didn't really watch the game at all. We ended up just chatting. And a lot of it wasn't business-oriented. It was goals-oriented, where I'd been, where I wanted to go, what my ambitions were, what his vision was, what his ambitions were. And it really felt like there was good alignment in the personal aspect, which I think is so important and people forget all the time to really dig into that. And I think there's a lot of a business is business and that's where I cut it off out there. It's a way to be. I'm not going to say that that's entirely the wrong way to be, but I do think you have to put some of yourself and some of your personality into your team members to get them to want to follow you. And Philip did a perfect job of that. I took the job the next day. Wow. The next day after the meeting at the game. Wow. Well, cool. he offered me the job the next day and I said yes, but... <laughs> Well, fantastic. Well, okay. So you guys hit it off. You accepted the position. And now you're CEO of a major media company who has reputation, who has clients, who has some noteworthy successes. So now that you're leading the company, I'm curious now, where are you leading the company? Like if I'm someone out here who I have my own company, I can see there might be some type of recession, possibly, ooh, the dirty R word, it might be coming. Who knows? Who can predict that stuff? But there's that. There are so many marketing companies out there. So tell me where you're leading this company and why I would even consider being a client or hire you to be my marketing agency, Brandon. Yeah, well, uh, I think first and foremost, Matt, you know, it's in the undefeated marketing system. And Philip does an incredible job of outlining why we do what we do. But ultimately, it's to give business owners an alternative. Unfortunately, there's no other way but being direct that the other marketing agencies out there, they're really not always in it for you as the business owner, I might say. And so it's this game of let's throw this at the wall and see if it sticks or like me and Philip like to say the shotgun approach to marketing. And the way we do things is entrenched in data. So the first step in the undefeated marketing system is to understand your customers. What are their traits? What are their behaviors? What are their, as we call them, psychological drivers that are going to get them to purchase what you're offering? And we do a deep dive into that. Before we even spend your money, before we say you need to put this amount to Facebook and this amount to Google, we figure out if that's even the platform that your customer is on. And unfortunately, we're really one of the only agencies that does that. You know, a lot of agencies have kickbacks. A lot of agencies, some agencies only do Facebook marketing and don't tell you. They just say, hey, 90% of your budget needs to go over here. And if you're not the wiser or marketing isn't in your background, like it wasn't in my background, by the way, you just say, okay. And you hope that the leads come in. And then unfortunately, almost every client we currently work with has a story of, I did that once, sometimes twice, three times in a row, I spent an absurd amount of money and got no return on that investment. Yeah. How do you find out these psychological factors that drive the customers? I mean, I appreciate the data-driven marketing. It sounds sexy. I mean, it sounds 
good, but I don't know the ins and outs of marketing agencies. So you say that you're data-driven, you have this system, the undefeated marketing system, which has been proven to work. So how do you find out these psychological factors? Give us a little bit of the insight, what you can, into the process. Sure. So at any point in time, and we have a partnership with one of the largest data collection agencies in the country. And so at any point in time, we're tracking 230 million American consumers, 500 million connected devices, and over a trillion different search points. I mean, you name it, we're tracking it. And what we do with that, our third-party data, and then by the way, we also take your first-party data. So if a client comes to us and has a list, that's gold to us. We want to take a look at your current customers, understand how we can help you upsell them, how we can help you reach them in a different way, a better way that's going to help them convert at a higher level. So we do a little bit of everything there. And we build out what we call our customer insights report. And that is an analysis. It's usually 55 to 75 pages of just data that my team will dig through, deliver an analysis to you because we don't just pass you this report and say, good luck. We're going to walk you through what's in there, why it's important and what you should be acting on tomorrow. This first step we take along with building out that strategy, what are the tactics, what are the things that need to happen next for you to actually get these results and act on the data? God, it's fascinating to me. And as you say this, I'm kicking myself under the table a little bit because I've hired a couple of marketing agencies in my time to help build our brand. And at no point has anyone shown me any data reports. Has no one ever gone deep into the psychological factors of my customers? They've actually said, some of the things that you said that you're going to need to spend all money over here towards Facebook advertising or towards YouTube advertising, but didn't really go much deeper. You know, so what you're sharing is that your approach is more towards the psychology of your ideal target clients. And you use, I don't even know the number you said, a trillion pieces of data point to help really understand what the psychological factors are for the buyer. How do you get to them? I mean, now that you know what these factors are, does that inform you of what platform to use? Talk a little more to the layperson here who's trying to understand a little bit more. Yeah, it does. And it really helps inform every other step of the undefeated marketing system, right? And so the next step is building out that strategy. What are the tactics? What are the things we know now that we need to go employ? And then the creative and branding is probably the biggest piece here, Matt. And it's the piece that most people miss is that Should you understand your customer, and let me give you an example here, is that it highly indexes in this report that almost all of your customers have dogs, right? And this has happened, by the way, with a large insurance organization that we work with. A lot of their customers in a very specific region, highly indexed on dog ownership, loving their dogs. And to the average person, they go, okay, that's cool. That's a unique data point. We put dogs into their advertising very strategically and did an A-B test campaign against one of their regular campaigns, and it performed two and a half times better than the original campaign. And so those are some of the insights that we get, and we act upon every one of those. So the data informs the strategy, the data informs the creative, the data (laughs) informs everything that we do. And so we can always back up exactly what we're recommending, exactly what we're talking about, and then The phrase, you know, we take the risk out of marketing, that's where it comes from because we're not just making a guess. I was on a conversation, I won't use names, I won't use company names at all, but I was on a conversation the other day with a company who had a 30-year veteran in the marketing industry on the same call as us. And they said, well, you know, I think we want to skip that. They're talking about the data, by the way. We want to skip that step and we just want to do some A-B testing with this creative and really just 
target things on Facebook. And they said it very eloquently. They were obviously a good salesperson. They've been doing this for 30 years. But my follow-up was, okay, so we're just going to make a very educated guess based on your years of experience, but we're not going to know. And then everyone went on the call, right? And so, again, when you put your faith into another agency, no matter how much experience they have, they don't know unless they're digging in and identifying what the data says. And most companies won't invest in that. And we do. And by the way, this is what all the giant Fortune 500 companies are doing. This is what enterprise level companies are doing. They're going straight to these data providers and they're spending insurmountable amounts of money on having access to this data. What we do is we take that cost off the business owner and we provide it for a fraction of the cost in order to get great results for them. This is what the Cokes of the world are doing. And we're trying to employ that with small businesses, mid-sized businesses, everyone. Yeah. Well, can you, uh, speaking of small, mid-sized businesses, can you give a little insight into who might be a good client that would get great return investment if they were to hire you as the marketing agency? Who is that ideal prospect or client? Yeah, absolutely. I would say mid-sized and small businesses all around. We do a lot of work in the home services space, and we're very proud of the work that we've been able to accomplish in that space. I would also say that any company that comes to us, we always say committed versus interested. Everyone starts with interested. This isn't to take a dig at anyone, but we really want committed business owners that are tired of doing the same old thing and getting crappy results and are ready to commit, let's say, at least 8 to 12% of their annual revenue towards marketing. Because you don't know how many times, Matt, we hear I really want to grow. I want to spend about 1% though of my total revenue on marketing, which that recipe doesn't typically work. We want people that are into spending on their marketing and doing something a different way, ultimately diving into the data. And then the most important part, Matt, is not fighting what the data says. I think that would be the toughest situations I'm ever in are having those conversations with business owners after we get started. You find out that the data says everything that contrasts what you've been doing for the last 10 years. You get emotional about it. You get frustrated. And I get it, right? We were just talking about empathy. I totally understand. And then you start to fight it. And when you fight it, you're doing the same old thing you've been doing. And you're telling me that you want to pay me for my expertise. But now you're going to tell me what creative needs to go out on these advertisements. And that's just not a good recipe. So committed business owners willing to spend the budget that they need to to grow ultimately. And we can help with that. You know, we're very intentional about industry and margins and we understand all that. Ultimately, someone that's going to to listen to that expert advice and let us do what you're paying us to do. Interesting. Well, so let's just say that I've heard what you said. I like it. And there's still this possible recession coming. So I need to cut back my spend right now. What would you say to the person right now whose mind is set on I'm really nervous and anxious to go ahead and make a marketing spend right now because of what might happen in the economy. What is your advice or counsel for someone who's really nervous about that spend right now? Yeah. Well, I'll start with a story and then I'll tell you exactly what I've been telling folks that are asking me that. But in 09, obviously, after that big economic crash that a lot of people remember well, there was a study. It started in 09 and ended 10 years later. And it was by Gartner, if people want to look this up. And it took a study of companies that cut their marketing spend and or remained the same. And it 
also studied against that companies that upped their marketing spend, in some cases 20%, in some cases 100%, right? That took advantage of that time in history. The companies that upped their marketing spend captured more market share and are in a better place today than they were in 09. The companies that remained steady and didn't do anything different or, in the worst case, cut back their marketing either are out of business or have lost considerable market share. And I tell you that story because I think the worst thing anyone could do right now with the looming recession, the R word, whatever it is, is to cut back on marketing. It's the lifeblood of your business. It's what helps not only you get leads, but it also helps your brand stay aware in the community. And people people are going to buy your product. They may not want to buy it right now, but in two months, you want them to be thinking about Matt or win big media. You need them to be thinking about you. And if you cut all your marketing spend and then you try to restart that process up six months later, you're fighting against all those companies that did do the smart thing and doubled down or started to run advertisements against your business while you were dark, right? So my direct answer is don't do that. (laughs) Make sure that you are smarter with your marketing in a recession. Understand your data. Utilize that data to inform your marketing spend decisions, but don't cut back. Just be smart. Agree. I appreciate your deep dive into marketing strategy, marketing thoughts, because I have not taken the time to really have this deep conversation with someone in marketing like this. And it's good to learn something new. And I appreciate that. For any of our listeners who've heard this and are interested and they might want to find out more, is there an offer you might have for our listeners and how might they? get in touch with you. There is, yeah. We offer everyone a 30-minute, what we call an intake meeting, Matt, in which we're going to take a look at what are you doing now? I call it a free assessment or an audit, essentially. What are you doing now? What do we think that you need to be doing? A lot of times we see that someone comes to us ultimately with a website that needs work or they're doing something currently and maybe they're running advertisements and they're in the wrong space, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take your first-party data Again, we're going to match it with our third-party data. We're going to build out one of our customer insights reports. And someone needs to ultimately come to us open-minded, be ready to have that conversation with us, and we'll walk them through the steps that need to happen from there. But yeah, we offer a 30-minute audit just to kind of understand where you're at currently and what we need to do to take you to the next level. Wow. Well, there you go, team. For listeners of this podcast, you know, reach out to Brandon or reach out to me directly and I'll connect you with Brandon to have that 30-minute discussion and have that audit so you might see how you might be able to leverage big data to help grow your organization. So, Brandon, how does our listener today find out more about Brandon and WinBig Media? Just what are the social places or anywhere we might find out more? We have a presence on pretty much every social platform, Matt, but I think the easiest way would just be go to winbigmedia.com forward slash CIR which is going to really help you understand the first step in what we do. Everyone's welcome to email me as well. It's just my first name, Brandon, at winbigmedia.com. And I'd be glad to have a conversation with anybody that's ready to commit to the first step of changing their marketing. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you've gone deep. You've shared a bunch with this. Let's wrap things up with a story. So when you think about, let's just say, the last few years of your life, and you think about the relationships that you've made, the compassionate leadership journey that you've been on, everything that's happened with COVID, I mean, there's been a lot that's happened in the last few years. When you think about all that, what are one or two of the key learning lessons or the tenets that you hold as your philosophy 
would love to hear just a little bit more about your philosophy or learning lessons. I think to this day, Matt, empathy is obviously a big one for me, but I also have learned to be very present. And I think that is a skill that a lot of leaders are lacking. And it's not an easy skill. I don't say that lightly. It's not because I want to push on them or make fun of them, but it's something I think we could all do with a little bit more of. I'll give you the story here is that I was managing a a very large health club at this point with thousands of employees. And it's very easy to just have tunnel vision in a situation like that, right? You're just walking through the club. People are having conversations with you. You're, yeah, you're nodding your head. You're saying yes, but you're not really there. I had an employee come into my office one day, said, hey, I I need a few minutes. And that wasn't normal in that situation. And I could tell something was wrong. But again, I took my normal, and this was a little bit before I had dug into working on myself and my management style. And I was staring at my computer while he was talking. And he stopped talking. I realized he stopped talking. And so then I turned my attention to him and he said, I'm going to share a few things with you that are going to be tough to hear. But this right here is exactly why people don't like you. That's what he said to me. Um, What? That's what he said. It was very direct. It was very shocking. I ran a good health club. He acknowledged that we had turned the corner from where the facility was previously to where it was going now. But apparently behind the scenes, there was this understanding that uh, Brandon didn't care. And he was very not present in conversations. And he was thinking about what he was going to say to you before you even got it out of your mouth. And he shared that with me. And it took a lot of courage for him to share that with me, by the way. This gentleman was a very successful personal trainer. But there was a couple tiers of management between me and him. And he took the time to walk in my office and share that with me. To this day, it's probably the most impactful conversation that's happened in my career. Cause I remember that every day when I catch myself, I still catch myself every once in a while. I'm on a zoom call, my phone rings or I get a message. I see it out of the corner of my eye. Now, I think about that gentleman and I'll use his name. Cause he knows I tell this story, Dietrich, love you, man. And I see that out of the corner of my eye and I go, Nope, what would Dietrich say to me? And so I shoved that phone as far away as possible. And then I'm very present with who's in front of me. That is one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life is that if you can give someone your full and undivided attention, you'd be surprised how much respect you get out of that. Even if it's a hard conversation, you need to listen. You need to hear people out. Great story. Great story. It came from what was probably very difficult for him. And this is one of the most turning point, game changing conversations in your life that he had the courage to share that and you heard it and you didn't get defensive and fly off the rails like some leaders might. And you now integrated that and internalized it. And kudos to you, my friend. Brandon, it's been a real pleasure having you on. I look forward to sharing this and I'm going to attempt to find that Gardner Marketing Spend report, get that in the show notes and just thank you for sharing what you've shared today, Brandon. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.